Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, as we continue our study of the book of Hebrews. Now, in reading this passage uh, for this morning, I was brought back to the summer of 2000. This was the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college at the University of Georgia. And April, who was my girlfriend at the time, and I and a group of friends attended a gathering of over 40,000 students outside of Memphis, Tennessee, called One Day. And for the first time, I heard a man named John Piper preaching. For those of you who know John Piper, this is when he preached his now famous seashell sermon. And to be honest, I don't remember much of what he said that day. But my interest was piqued. Later that summer, I worked at a camp and my co-counselor couldn't stop speaking about John Piper. And he was so excited that I actually heard him in person. And so when the summer was over, I went to Lifeway Bookstore because that's how people got books back then. We didn't get them on Amazon. I found a copy of a book that he wrote called Desiring God, and the Lord used it to change my life. A few years later, when I was in seminary, a professor asked the class, how many of you are here at Reformed Theological Seminary because in some way John Piper influenced you? And I would say well over 80% of the students raised their hands. Unlike any other in the Reformed Christian world, John Piper was a prophetic voice to my generation. He spoke with conviction and power and anointing about two interrelated ideas. The first was Reformed theology. He was the first person I had ever heard articulate the Reformed faith, and he was passionate about God's sovereignty over all things, including the salvation of man. And the second area that he emphasized is what he calls Christian hedonism. Now, I'm not a big fan of that term, but what he means by it is clearly biblical. He expresses this truth in the phrase, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Or in his slight rephrasing of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, when he says man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And these two elements of Piper's ministry, reform theology and satisfaction in God above everything else, has shaped my life and my ministry. I bought the DVD of that gathering one day and I watched Piper's sermon over and over again. Like I said, I read the book Desiring God and then his book Future Grace and then Hunger for God, then Pleasures for God, then Let the Nations Be Glad. I had MP3s of his sermons. Back then we had MP3s. I think only like a slight group of people in my generation did MP3s. And I listened to sermon after sermon after sermon. I fed on this gospel truth that someone was finally willing to tell me without equivocation, pursue your joy in God and not in this world. He was a voice calling in the wilderness, don't waste your life. 
on the things of this world, but give all that you are for Christ. And I can't read this passage for this morning without hearing it in the voice of John Piper. I'm not sure exactly what sermon he brings this verse up in, but I must have listened to it many, many times because every time I read these words, I hear them in his voice. Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith because it displays for us examples of those who live by faith. Abel and Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and now in our passage for this morning, Moses and his parents. It had been around 400 years since Israel moved to Egypt. Initially, they were welcomed as the honored family of Joseph, but over 400 years span, this small group of Hebrews grew into the size of a mighty nation. The Pharaoh of Joseph's day had honored Israel, but by the time of Moses, Pharaoh had enslaved the people of Israel. He even went as far as to command the execution of every male Hebrew child born in his lands. And it's into this context that our passage begins, a context of oppression and injustice, a context in which those who would live by faith must make difficult choices. Choices about obedience, choices about community, choices about eternity. And what we will see is that if we would live by faith, then we must choose the reward of Christ over all the fleeting pleasures of this world. So here now, The word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 11, will begin in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father God, we come to you now and we pray, O oh Lord, that you would teach us from your word. And by the anointing of your spirit, we might not just hear with our ears, but that we might have hearts that are changed that we would see in this world that offers us so many temptations of joy that Christ above everything else must be our highest joy. We pray that we would not embrace the fleeting pleasures of this world, but that we would seek Christ and His reward. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. 
In Acts chapter 5, the apostles of Jesus Christ are brought before the religious authorities of the day. And if you remember, they are told you cannot keep preaching this gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to stop proclaiming this message. And in verse 29, we are told their response. We read, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. In one clear, simple statement, we have the essence of our first point. That if we would live by faith, we must choose obedience to God over obedience to man. Or to put another way, we must fear God over fearing man. Look at verse 23 of our text, and we'll see this choice of obedience to God over man. There we read, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The Egyptian pharaoh had tried to use midwives to do his dirty work in eliminating these Hebrew children. He had commanded them to kill the male children born, and yet they had the courage to defy his command. And so the Pharaoh then makes a general decree that we read in verse 22 of Exodus chapter 1. It says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile. Can you imagine the struggle and the fear of having a child in this environment? First, it would take great faith just to conceive a child under such circumstances. And then you would have to wait for nine months to see if your child was born a daughter or a son. If your child was born a slave or one who was under a death notice. Once Moses is born, the text tells us that his parents kept him hidden for three months because he was beautiful. Now, there's no real consensus about what this phrase is actually getting at, but I don't, however, believe that it's saying that Moses' parents would have given him to death if he would have been an ugly baby. It's like, oh! Rather, I think it's indicating that once the child was born... Their love and their affection only grew once they saw him. And they knew, as every parent knows, they could never give their child over to death. As every parent knows that when they look at their child for the first time, that there is a connection that makes them more precious to you than your own life, that you would be willing to give your life for the life of this child. And so Moses' parents have the faith to first bring a child into this world of oppression and to second, disobey the king's decree because of the love that they had for their child. To live by faith, they had to make choices that defied the earthly authorities in favor of God's authority. And this truth applies to us this very day. If we would live by faith, then we have to choose to obey God over man. You must submit to divine law over every earthly law. Now, as Christians, we believe that the Lord has established 
authorities in our lives and that we are called to submit to them, that these authorities are there for our blessing. We are to submit to our governmental authorities and those who enforce their lawful commands. We're called to submit to authorities at work, authorities at school. We have authorities within families, such as children submitting to their parents and wives to their husbands. And we are to submit to spiritual authorities, such as elders and pastors that are over us. But all human authority has limits. All human authority has its boundaries. And once the authority over you is demanding that you break the law of God against yourself or against others, that authority ends. No human authority supersedes the authority of God because He is the supreme authority. So as Peter says, we must obey God rather than man. And this is how we are called to live by faith. You must choose obedience to God above everything else, even if it means incurring punishment from those in authority over you. During the Reformation in Scotland, John Knox, the founder of Presbyterianism, that's why, if you wondered why we have a John Knox room, he's the founder of Presbyterianism, he was in constant conflict with the royal authorities. And in the midst of his conflict, he declared, Resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. In this life, you're going to have to choose. Will you obey God or man? Will you capitulate to the tyrants or will you trust the promises of God? Now, we need to be thankful to God for our country's founders. The Constitution, and in particular the First Amendment to the Constitution, has served as a bulwark against the rise of tyranny in our land. And yet, there continues to be movement within our country to erode the free exercise of religion. We have seen mandates for Christian organizations to cover objectionable practices such as abortion. We have seen Christian businesses sued because they will not participate in same-sex wedding ceremonies and celebrations. Christian schools and universities are under constant pressure to capitulate to transgender ideology under the threat of losing accreditations. And we will have to choose as the world and as the authorities over us slide further and further away from biblical norms, will we obey God or will we obey man? Because with obedience comes rewards. And with disobedience, punishment. So whose reward are you going to seek? And whose punishment do you fear? Jesus tells us the answer clearly. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, faith chooses obedience to God. Christian, I understand there is pressure from this world to pursue the reward of earthly obedience, knowing that if you submit to the authorities over you, that they will give you a earthly reward. But the reward of Christ is better. Even as Martin Luther wrote in the midst of his conflict with earthly authorities, let goods and kindred go. 
this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And if we would live by faith, then we must, like our reformer forefathers, John Knox and Martin Luther, choose obedience to God above everything else. Now, as you remember from the story of Moses, his mother, after three months, released him into the Nile in a little boat, a little ark made out of reeds. His sister follows him along to see what's going to happen. And we read that the Lord guides and directs little baby Moses to the palace of Pharaoh, where he's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. And seeing this child, she chooses to adopt him as her own. We're told that she then hires Moses' own mother to nurse and care for him until it's time for him to be weaned. And then he is raised in the home of Pharaoh. It's an amazing story of God's hand of providence and care. And yet, it left Moses in a place of living between two different worlds. For he was a Hebrew by birth, but he was an Egyptian by upbringing. And this would become the major determining choice in his life. Will I choose alignment with the Hebrews or with the Egyptian? Will I live in community with the people of Pharaoh or the people of God? Let's evaluate this choice first. To live in community with Pharaoh meant that he lived in wealth. He would never need for anything that money could buy. He would have the nicest clothes, the choicest foods, the best homes. Second, he would have power. To live within the house of Pharaoh meant that you would be given authority to rule and to command honor and respect. Alignment with Egypt meant every earthly pleasure would be yours. And we crave this type of wealth and respect. This is why we love to learn about the lives of movie stars and modern royalty. We look at them and we put ourselves in their lives and we think how wonderful it would be. On the other hand, you have alignment with the Hebrews. They are slaves. They're owned by another. They don't have wealth. They don't have power. They don't have freedom. There is nothing desirable about their lot except one thing. They have the promises of God. So what does faith choose? Present earthly pleasure or future eternal reward? We'll look at verses 24 through 25. There we read, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now this is where I hear Piper's voice emphasizing, fleeting, fleeting, gesticulating all over the place. What did Moses choose? 
He chose alignment with the people of God over alignment with Pharaoh. He chose mistreatment with the Hebrew slaves over the fleeting pleasures of sin. There is no riding the line between these two options. Moses could not exist in both camps at once. As Jesus taught his disciples, whoever is not with me is against me. And you have the same choice before you as well. With whom will you align? Who will be your people above anybody else? Are you with Pharaoh or are you with Christ? Are you in the world or are you in the church? We live a time in Christianity that we have become so individualized in our faith that we can easily miss the point of this verse and put the emphasis on the wrong thing. You see, this is not primarily a choice between wealth and poverty, between slavery and freedom. It's a choice between alignment with Egypt or alignment with the Hebrews. It is a choice of being with the world or with the people of God, no matter the earthly consequences. It is saying that no matter the temporary rewards that might be associated with the world, I will choose to be numbered with the people of God. This is what faith chooses. Union with God's people, the body of Christ, the church. I've seen over and over again those who believe that they can exist in both camps, that they can claim Christ but live apart from His people, They say that they are a Christian, but they don't want to join themselves with the people of God because of the disrespect that might come to them because of it. And in this point in American history, alignment with the people of God does not mean poverty or enslavement. But in some countries it does. In China, it does. In Iran, it does. There are pleasures to give up. There are relationships that will be broken. There are joys that will be sacrificed. There are opportunities that are going to be missed. If you truly align yourself with the people of God, you will have to give up fleeting pleasures of sin. And we are a time of transition within our country. It used to be that alignment with the people of God was not too hard of a choice because it was culturally acceptable. But it's becoming less so. And as it is becoming less so, the line of division between those in Christ and those outside of Christ is becoming more and more accentuated. And difficult choices will have to be made about who you will align with. But the words of Christ, again, are clear. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is what faith chooses. It chooses to align with Christ no matter the cost. How do you make difficult decisions in your life? When you come to those moments where you have to decide, 
How do you set yourself on the right and wise course of action in this world? Well, first, you always choose obedience to God. If there's a choice between obedience to God and obedience to man, you always choose obedience to God. Second, you choose alignment with God's people above everyone else. And the third thing that we will see is that to live by faith, to make faith's choices, you must choose God's reward above everything else. Look at verse 26. There we read, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now here the author makes the connection between union with the people of God and union with Christ. And then explains that it is union with Christ that will lead to eternal reward. Union with Christ is the greater reward than the treasures of Egypt. You see, the treasures of Egypt are fleeting. That means they are temporary. To use the words of Christ, it's the things that moth and rust destroy. But the reward that we have in Christ is eternal. It's a better reward. And this is the message that John Piper continually highlights from Scripture. That the message of Christianity is not choose suffering over joy. Rather, it is choose eternal joy over temporary joy. Choose lasting pleasure over fleeting pleasure. It is seeing the lie of this world that you should pursue rewards here. And this is what his seashell sermon was about. It was about the lie that the world wants you to believe that you should pursue wealth and stability and retirement and autonomy. That you should aim your life at the reward of personal indulgence culminating in the crescendo of collecting shells. Is that what you are aiming your life toward? Are you aiming your life towards financial freedom so that you can spend your day collecting shells or doing whatever else you want to do to indulge your self-autonomy? Because that is the message that this world is telling you to pursue, to work now and collect as much as you can so that at the end of your life you can give it all back to yourself. But that is not the message of the gospel. That is not the message of Christ. That is not where we should be aiming our lives. We should be aiming our life towards serving Christ in His church and in the neighborhood and in our families and even to the ends of the earth because that is the better reward. These are the words of C.S. Lewis who said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. This is how we live a life of faith. We continually choose the eternal reward of Christ over the temporary rewards of Egypt. 
We give up our mud pies, believing in faith that we are headed towards something better. Moses had everything that this world could offer, but he chose the promise of God because as Hebrews eleven sixteen 16 tells us, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call, be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Missionary Jim Elliott, who was martyred in South America as he sought to share the gospel with a remote tribe in Ecuador, summed this up well when he wrote in his journal, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. This is the choice that faith makes. It chooses eternal reward over fleeting earthly rewards. Now this whole sermon is truly just saying that faith chooses Christ. For Christ came in obedience to His Father. He came to this world and He obeyed the law of God perfectly. Even when the earthly religious authorities opposed him, even when the earthly governmental powers opposed him, even when the earthly spiritual powers opposed him, he chose obedience to God. And this meant that he went to the cross. For it was what God had called him to do, and it is what his obedience to God over the world led him to. Not only did Jesus obey, but he also chose to align himself with the people of God. For by his birth, he was joined to the human race, living amongst us, becoming one with his people. And yet, in being joined with his people, it meant that he had to undergo the penalty of our sin. While he obeyed perfectly, he joined himself to a people who were enslaved to sin who lived under the penalty not just of physical death, but of eternal death. And so, as he went to the cross, he took on the punishment and the shame of those to whom he chose to align himself with. Why did he live in obedience and in union with God's people? Why did he choose this path, even to die on the cross? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us why. If you look down a few verses in chapter 12, verse 2, it tells us that as we are choosing this path, we must look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Why did Jesus obey and align with the people of God? Because he chose the better reward. Because he was seeking joy. For he knew that the path to true and lasting joy was not found in this world, but it was found in obedience to God. That by his death, he would receive the reward of a redeemed people, even you, Christian that we who believe in Him might have forgiveness of sin, might have the hope of His eternal reward. And this is the choice that is set before you today. Will you choose Christ? Will you choose obedience? 
Will you choose his people over this world? Will you choose the reward that he has won for you? Even eternal, everlasting joy and life in God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you this morning and we pray, Lord, that you would so open our eyes to the value and the worth and the glory of Christ that we would see that all that we pursue in this world that is not of you is just a mud pie. But you have offered to us eternal joy and pleasure in Christ. Oh, would you give us the grace to lift our eyes up and to see Christ, that he is the pearl of great price, that he is the treasure hidden in the field, and that we would sell all that we have that we might gain him. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you chose obedience, that you chose to align yourself with us and join yourself to us, that you chose us as your reward. May we, O oh Lord, choose you. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.